0: A number of years ago, um, I was doing door-to-door evangelism in a neighborhood. So I was going door-to-door, and then I got to this one house, and the man and the woman were sitting outside. I was like, well, that's great. I don't have to do that uncomfortable thing of knocking on the door, we can just talk in their front yard. And so... I picked up a conversation with them. We talked a bit, and then I came to the point of my visit, and I asked them if I could share a bit about the Lord Jesus Christ with them. And the man paused and looked at me with this, this hint of grief in his eyes, and he said, oh, no, no, don't, don't worry about us, we're, we're too far gone, but please go talk to my children and i tried to insist i tried to insist but then his wife gave me that same look we're we're too far gone but go talk to our children and i don't think it was a smokescreen i don't think they were just not wanting to talk i think they were sincere i think they really thought they were too far gone that they were too sinful to hear about good news Have you ever had some kind of conversation like that where someone kind of felt that they had removed themselves from that sort of of conversation? I relate it to Pilgrim's Progress where John Bunyan writes about the interpreter who shows Pilgrim a vision of this very sad man in an iron cage. You remember that little part of Pilgrim's Progress? And Pilgrim describes this man in the iron cage as sighing in such a way that it would break your heart. He asked the man who he is and the man says, I am what I was not once. <laughs> and what, Pil- what he was saying to Pilgrim is this, I was a follower of the way like you, but then I gave free reign to my lusts. I sinned against the light of the word and the goodness of God. I grieved the spirit, I tempted the devil, and I provoked God to anger. Now I'm so hardened in my heart that I cannot repent." And the conversation goes on from there and it just gets sadder and sadder. And But you're left wondering, you're wondering what Bunyan really is wanting to communicate. Is he wanting you to think that this man really sinned the unforgivable sin? Or is he wanting you to realize that his flesh and the devil are so pummeling him with guilt and shame that he can't let himself see Christ's forgiving heart and flee to Christ for refuge? Which is it? It seems that he's tipped his cap, at least in my perspective, because the man wants it. Well, four men's groups in our church and several others in the church are studying this delightful book by Dane Ortland entitled Gentle and Lowly. And in fact, a donor gave Lifeway $5 million to make it available free of charge to churches that promise to use it in discipleship. Therefore, that's what we're doing. So Gabby set us up and we got 200 copies. So if you'd like a copy, they're in a box in the foyer. The aim of the book is to push you to think deeply, about Jesus's compassionate heart for you. And he keeps asking the question, how does Jesus feel about you in this text? My sermon is based on one of the chapters in that book, but behind that also a book by John Bunyan, a beautiful book titled, Come and Welcome to Christ. It's a 200 page book about one single verse. And it's the single verse that we're looking at today. Our text will be John 6:37. John 6:37. Jesus says, "All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out." Merits reading again. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I want you to imagine as we unpack this verse that you're having a conversation with that couple I mentioned. Or maybe you're having a conversation with the man in the iron cage. Or maybe you're having a conversation with your own conscience that needs to hear this in a big way. So in John 6, Jesus is, he's just fed 5,000 people. I mean, really, 5,000 men, women and children, more. So he's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee from where they usually are. And he and his disciples get in a boat to go back across the Sea of Galilee to their home base, Capernaum. But... When the crowds realize that they've left, they find their own boats. How many boats must there have been? And they go across the Sea of Galilee in search of Jesus. And I mean, they doggedly want to find Jesus again. And you see, they have their agenda. They have their agenda for Jesus. They want Jesus to keep providing them bread. They want Jesus to use his powers to liberate them from Rome. So Jesus meets them on the shoreline, coming for him, coming with their agenda for him. He meets them on the shoreline, he confronts them with who he really is and why he's really come. He's really challenging them with the fact that their vision is too small. He's not just a wonder-working prophet here to improve Israel's temporal existence, He's the God-man come down from heaven to save them, body and soul, unto eternal life. It's a much grander vision that they can't see. And so as he confronts the crowd, he speaks these beautiful words and others. So I wanna look at this one verse in the three headings. The present of the Father, the present of the Father. Second, the promise for us. And then third, the persevering of Jesus's heart. The present of the Father, the promise for us, the persevering of Jesus's heart. So Jesus looks at this crowd and he says to them, all that the Father gives me, all that the Father gives me, so much is contained in that. Jesus speaks of a present. He speaks of a gift from the Father to him. And he knows the gift. It's been given to him. And so what is the present that the father has given the son? The present is a people. In John, Jesus also calls this people his sheep. John 10, he calls them his chosen. In John 15, he calls them those given him out of the world. In John 17, elsewhere in scripture, they're called the elect. They're called the bride. They're called the church or Christ's body. Jesus is speaking of a group of lost sinners the father has given to his son. He's referring to this covenant made before time in eternity between the father and the son in which the father gives a number of fallen and guilty people to the son. And the son promises to save them. In eternity, he promises this. So Jesus looks at this crowd. He looks at this crowd that they're just struggling with life in a fallen world. There's subsistence farmers. There's no safety net for this people. He's talking with a group of people that's self-absorbed with their sinful agenda. They just wanna co-opt him. And he says to them, all that the father has given me will come to me. He says, all, not most. All that the Father has given me will come to me. If the Father set his love on you in eternity, you're mine, I'll take responsibility for you. I'll rescue you. And he calls God Father here. He doesn't use God. He could have used God, but God sounds too distant, too remote, too even fearsome. He names God Father, which is familiar and endearing. Father was rare in the Old Testament, but it's so abundant in the new because the Son came. It's the Christian name for God. Jesus loved to speak of God as Father and encourages you and me to speak to God as Father. The Father gave His beloved Son a present, a gift a people. So it also means the Father and the Son aren't at odds There's not a tug of war going on. There's no tension, disagreement. Jesus doesn't have to placate an angry God or finagle a begrudging God. The Father takes the loving agenda, the loving initiative. He gave this people to the Son. It came from Him. He loved this people and therefore gave them to the Son. The Father gives the Son a present, a gift. It conveys the idea of joy and delight. It gives the connotation of birthday gifts and Christmas presents. It's, it's a, a gift, a beautiful gift that the father delighted to give his son. And it indicates the father believes the son is capable of handling such a gift. Parents don't give gifts to their children they don't think they can handle. You don't give your five-year-old a new car. You're just not gonna do it. It means the father knew the son would really want this gift And even more would be enough to care for this gift. Says a lot about the son and the devoted love of the father for the son to give him this gift. So second, the promise for us. Jesus says, all that the father gives me will come to me. They will come to me. If they're given, they're definitely gonna come. It's an absolute promise right there. The Father gives none to Jesus that don't come to Jesus. There's no condition here. If the Father gives this people to the Son, this people will certainly come to the Son. It's a strong reassurance. Nothing is required of us in this promise. Rather, the only thing required is the Father give us to the Son. That's the requirement. If we're given to the Son, then we come to the Son. For example, this promise is distinct from, for example, Exodus nineteen five. And in Exodus nineteen five, we studied it a while back. It says, "Now, therefore, God speaking to Israel, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession." among all peoples did you notice that if if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant then you will be my treasured possession now let's clarify a minute the if means there's a condition yet it doesn't mean here that Israel was redeemed because they obeyed God's voice God's already redeemed them he redeemed them by unconditional grace he went and got them that is based on an absolute promise too. You remember he made a promise to Abraham. He said, I'm gonna get my people out of Egypt and he alone passed between those cut up animals saying I swear to my own destruction if I don't redeem my people. But the if here is a condition. It means if you will experience the joys of your relationship with God, then you will need to obey God's voice and keep his covenant. And that's true, that's a promise of sanctification. If we're going to enjoy God, if we're gonna enjoy the blessings of the covenant with God, we need to seek and walk closely with him. It's a condition. But John six thirty seven, it's an absolute promise. There's no condition in it that's required of us. It doesn't depend on you at all, but rather depends on the Father giving a gift to the Son. It depends on the Father's love and the Son's faithfulness. That's what it depends on. But our doubting minds may object to such a statement and say, well, if, if they're dead in trespasses and sins, how will they come? And God answers that objection by saying, I can make dry bones live, I can raise the dead. But we could then object and say, they're Satan's captives and his chains are strong. And God answers, well, Mary Magdalene was possessed of, of seven demons and Jesus cast them out and caused her to come to him. The Gerasene demoniac was plagued by a legion of demons and Jesus cast them out and he sat quietly at Jesus' feet. But we may object, well, what if they're great sinners or ringleaders of sinners that orchestrate sin, promote sin? God answers, I'm the God who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. There's none of that I don't forgive. But we object if, what if they don't have faith and don't have repentance, but God answers, I'm the one who gives faith and repentance. And so what God's trying to say is, I will ensure that all those I've given to my beloved son as a gift to him will surely come to my beloved son. And so what does this mean to come to Jesus it doesn't just mean that we come to him in a formal way an acknowledging way or that we improve our customs or we attend unto worship it means more than that we know it means that our minds and our hearts will move towards Christ will move towards him for justification for sanctification It means we'll come to see the deep need we have, the depths of our sin, and we'll flee to Jesus for refuge. It means we'll come to realize what qualifies us to come to Jesus. And what is it that qualifies us? Maybe Matthew 11 helps us out. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest what qualifies these people to come? Is it not that they are laboring and heavy laden and they know it, and they feel it, and they want Jesus to help them with it? What qualifies? It's our burden that qualifies, it's our sin and our suffering that qualifies us. But we may object, but what if my motives aren't right? What if my motives are convoluted when I, when I come to Jesus and God answers, don't worry about your motives? Come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus with who you are and and what you have and what you deal with. Come to him for life. Let let me sort out your motives in the way. And finally, we come to the persevering heart of Jesus. The present, the promise, and now the persevering heart. How's Jesus going to receive us? And Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And the phrase occupies the center of Bunyan's book and what a promise. And it manifests the persevering heart of Jesus towards you. Have you thought in those categories that Jesus' heart perseveres with you? It's long suffering towards you. And we ask ourselves, why would Jesus say this? Of all the things he could say, why does he elect to say this? Why would he feel the need to reassure us this way? And the answer has to be he's addressing a fallen instinct that you and I have, an innate suspicion that we have, this, this Adamic insecurity we have. You see, we can't really believe he's glad to receive us. The unbeliever under the load of guilt and, and shame can't believe he'll be welcomed. The backslidden believer regretting how he's dishonored God and offended Christ can hardly believe he'll be received back. And even the sincere believer who who seeks to follow God but is, is just so aware of how divided his heart is, how much sin still remains, how much he still likes sin, that he or she too often gives into this lurking qualm and misgiving that that God's love couldn't be as wonderful as God says it is, that Jesus couldn't be as long suffering and kind as he says it is. It's a deep-seated sickness that flows from the fall, a genetic sickness of fallen man that God can't be that good and I've got to go elsewhere. Like what Rob said in the hymn this morning that we studied from Ann Steele, I fear to call him mine. We fear to make such a a bold statement that Jesus is mine, even as believers. Can we make that claim on him? Would he want us to say that? And all of this is reinforced in that every human relationship has a limit. You know those limits you bump up against. I mean, if we offend enough, if we damage the relationship enough, if we betray enough, we will get cast out in some form or fashion. The walls will go up, division will occur. It's just going to happen. That's how we relate with each other. But Jesus is saying that with him it's different. Our our sin wall of shame actually qualifies us to come to him. He's a persevering friend with sinners. It's a badge of honor for him to be called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And he'll never cast us out. And to be cast out is to be discarded. It's to be rejected. It's finally to be judged in hell in scripture. But Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The old King James said it this way, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Remember that phrase, I will in no wise cast out. What an odd expression, but it's it's an effort to capture the force of the Greek idiom. And the Greek idiom here is a double negative. We don't talk like that. I mean, in good English, we don't talk like that. Jesus says, I will not, not cast out. I will not, not cast out. He's saying, Jesus is reaching down and holding you by the shoulders and looking you in the eye and I say, I know you don't believe me when I tell you this, but I'm not ever, I'm not I'm not gonna cast you out. You might, have, parents, you might have talked like this to your children, like I'm not leaving. Like, I'm gonna be here, you're safe, you're okay. I'm not ever gonna cast you out. And he he speaks like that because we think he's going to. He says, whoever here, or he that, or she that. And so the point there is it's not just that the Father gave me a gift of a whole group of people and that generally speaking, the whole group of people is gonna come to me. No, God gave me a whole group of people as a gift And because of that, each individual, each one of them, each one with their unique sin package and their unique suffering complex, they're all going to come to me. Each one of them is. There's no exceptions. There's none that fall through the cracks. There's no bad apples to be thrown out along the way. Those that God gave me, they're going to come to me. Each one will. But we could object. But what if I'm not among those fortunate ones whom the father gave to the son what if i'm not part of that present that gift what if i'm not his sheep what if i'm not his chosen what if i'm not one of those given out of the world to the son what if my ongoing struggle with sin and my life shattering suffering is evidence of that that i've already been cast out And scripture would look at us and say, look, you need to use biblical doctrines in a biblical way. And the evil one and your fallen instinct is going to shift it. We use biblical doctrines in a biblical way. Scripture doesn't use the doctrine of election to intensify your anxiety. Scripture uses the doctrine of election for several reasons, but generally speaking, is to promote your assurance. It's one of the highest reasons. Not to intensify anxiety, but promote insurance. And so Bunyan beautifully says this. He goes, Touching election, out of which thou fearest, thou art excluded. Why, coming sinner, even the text itself affordeth thee help against doubt. And that by a double argument. first, The fact that you're coming to Christ can only mean that the Father has given you as a present, a gift to His beloved Son. You, dead in trespasses and sins, would never come otherwise. You wouldn't want to, and you wouldn't be able to. And second, hear Jesus' promise again. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whatever worries, team up to distress you, answer them with Jesus's words, that if I'm coming, you're not ever casting me out. So Bunyan says, if Satan therefore objecteth, but thou art not elected, answer, but I am coming, Satan, I am coming, and that could not be, but that the Father draws me, and I am coming to such a Lord Jesus as will in no wise cast me out. But we could object. What if I've sinned the unforgivable sin? What if I fall into the Hebrews six category? Sinning and turning away and apostatizing to such an extent that it is now impossible to be restored again to repentance since I've crucified the son of God and held him in contempt. What if that's me? Bunyan again says, coming to Christ is by virtue of a special gift of the Father. But the Father giveth no such gift to them that have sinned that sin. Therefore, thou art coming, hast not committed that sin. If you're coming, you haven't committed it. It's ultimately a sin of unbelief. And if you are coming to Jesus, that's not you. So Jesus' promise to us is in full, is full and free. And Bunyan asks, what more could have been said than that promise? It answers everything. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Neither the devil, nor the world, nor your own heart can levy any objection against you that this promise does not answer, and it's designed to answer it. You say, but I'm a great sinner. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You say, I'm an old sinner. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You say, I'm a hard-hearted sinner. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You say, I'm a backsliding sinner. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Out, But you say, I've served Satan all my days. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You say, but I've sinned against light, light. I had light and sinned against it. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. But I have no good thing to bring with me for all this time. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. But still we say, no, wait, you, you don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. You don't know the half of it, Jesus says, I know. Well, then we come back and say, you know, most of it's certainly more than others, but there's perversity down deep that's hidden from everyone. I know it all, Jesus responds. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past. You see, it's, it's my present too. I understand, Jesus responds. But I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. Well, that's the only kind of person I'm here to help, Jesus responds. Well, the burden is heavier and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it, Jesus responds. Well, it's too much to bear. And Jesus says, well, not for me. And then we come back and we say, but but you don't get it. My offenses aren't directed to others. They're directed against you then I'm the one most suited to forgive them, Jesus responds. But but the more the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. (laughs) Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, Jesus says to you. And see, Jesus makes this promise to answer all objections and it does answer them. And so what's your objection? What is your objection? What is, that? what is that sin, struggle, suffering in your life that seems to be a barrier to you believing you will be warmly welcomed when you come to Jesus? What would the man and the woman I spoke of do before such a little... Good news. What would the man in the iron cage do before that? I think he wanted that. What a joy to be able to share this with someone we know thinks they have removed themselves from grace. Who is that in your life that maybe you could share such a pithy, hope-filled statement of good news? What about you? What about you? And the way you interact with God, the tone of your interaction that so often tends to be that you're failing and you're, you're not measuring up. You're just not getting there. And because you're not getting there, you're not really warmly received by the heart of Christ. What is it in your life? What are those objections you have? How can you respond to those objections on the basis of this sweet, powerful word of Christ. Jesus doesn't say to the crowd, if you feel sufficient remorse, I'll never cast you out. He doesn't say, if you redouble your efforts and put off that sin, I'll never cast you out. He doesn't say, if you make things right and fix it, I'll never cast you out. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, won't you come to Jesus today? Whether that be the first time you've ever fled to Jesus for refuge, for cleansing with the blood of Christ, the granting of the righteousness of Jesus as a gift, whether you've come to Jesus in faith, but you need to keep going It means that Jesus wants you as a gift. Like it it wasn't the gift he didn't want, it's not the socks, the Christmas socks, or, or whatever that is. It means he wanted the gift and the father wanted to give him the gift. It also means that he's capable of caring for you and you're not too much for him. It means he's a sufficient redeemer for you. So all of scripture is about him. All of history is about him. Your life, present and future hinges on him. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Instead, I'll bring you close and I want to bring you close. You see, it says that he's God made flesh. He's God made flesh for you. It it, it, it all is based upon this, that at the cross, the father cast his beloved son out. He cast him out. He rejected him and discarded him and judged him with hell. He cast him out. And so Jesus is looking at this crowd and saying, I'm not just giving you words I've, I've already promised to back it up, and I know what it's gonna cost me. Whoever comes to me, I'm never gonna cast you out. In fact, I've already agreed to be cast out for you. I want you that badly, come to me. It means that he, he, he covered you with his blood. It means that he's clothed you with his righteousness. It means that he cares for you all the way to glory. It means that when he drunk the cup of wrath and and went through the whole sentence, the whole sentence for all his people and God resurrected him to the right hand, it means that Jesus at the right hand saying, you promised a gift and I was cast out for them so that whoever comes to me will never be cast out. And I can welcome them close. And you can have what you wanted a people for your beloved son. Whoever comes to Jesus will never be cast out. Won't you come again to Christ today and see him as sufficient for you and wanting you to be close to him? Amen.